Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Now, if you would stand with me for the reading of the word, very honestly fill that out. Pass it on. We're going to look to Job chapter 42, verse 10, in the King James. Job 42, verse 10. It says this, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Now, today's going to be a little weighty, a little heavy. But if you'll hear what the Spirit is saying, I'm telling you, you'll never be the same. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life. This could change your life forever. If you'll hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Now, let's say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your goodness. I pray, God, that you would speak to this 9 o'clock service. Speak to our lives. God, challenge us today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The book of Job tells the epic story of Job's trial. Before his trial, Job had a lot of things going his way. He had his faith. Every day he prayed and offered sacrifices. He had his business. He had worked very hard and was very successful. He had his wife, the love of his life, the wife of his youth, the mother of his kids. He had three beautiful daughters, seven handsome sons. He loved them dearly, and they loved him back. And if you look at the text, it's obvious that they loved each other as well. This was a great, big, happy, close-knit family. Everything a husband and a father could wish for. And if that were not enough... Job was the picture of health. He had a good life until one fateful day when out of the blue, it all fell apart. On that day, enemies attacked and took all of Job's money, his resources. On that same day, a tornado hit the house of his oldest son where all his kids had gathered together for a party and all ten of them were killed. It's unbelievable. He learned of both of these tragedies within minutes of one another. Can you imagine the shock, the devastation, the grief, the pain that gripped him? And yet, at the end of that day is when Job made his famous declaration. I came into this world naked. Naked, I'm going to leave this world. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then... As he was trying to come to grips with his new reality, a father with no children, a millionaire with no money, his health began to fail. He broke out in these nasty, painful boils, these oozing sores all over his body from head to toe. He ended up sitting in a pile of ashes with a broken shard of pottery scratching those oozing sores. People didn't even recognize him. He was gaunt. He was grotesque. He was miserable. It got so bad that his wife 
the love of his life, just looked at him and said, why don't you just curse God and die? He was living a nightmare. And at this point, his optimism really began to wane. Depression started to set in. And in the first verses of chapter 3, he said things like this. I wish I had never been born. I, I, I wish I would have died as a baby rather than to see a day like this. All he had left was his faith and his wife. And they were both hanging on by a thread. What Job did not know was that all of this was about his faith. Would he serve God if he lost his family? Would he serve God if he lost his stuff? Would he serve God if he was sick? It was a play by the devil to get his faith. And it was a hard trial, y'all. It was a tough trial. It was an epic struggle. The fight of his life. And while Job was teetering on the ragged edge, while he was out there on the margins, while his nerves were frayed and his eyes were bloodshot and he was struggling just to keep it together, his friends showed up. Their names were Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They were moved by Job's misery. They cried with him. They stayed with him. Then they just sat with him for seven days and seven nights without saying a word. And then Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar took it upon themselves to try to, try, to, try to answer the question, why? Why was Job suffering? And they were doing this while Job was suffering. In the darkest chapter of his life, with total ignorance about what was really going on, they didn't know about the beginning of the book of Job either. His friends started guessing as to the cause of Job's calamity. Of course, they were shooting in the dark. They didn't have a clue. And yet, that's what they did from chapters 4 to 25. For the majority of those 22 chapters, or about half of the book of Job, they just spewed out ignorance on, on Job's situation at Job's expense. And in so doing... They inflicted even more pain on Job, like salt on an open wound. As a matter of fact, the trial had been painful enough, but the words of his friends exploited the damage that had already been done and bruised his spirit, as we're going to see. Milton, if you bring that fishing rod up here, I want to talk to you a little bit about hooks. I've got a little bag of little hooks right here. I, I've done saltwater fishing, especially since I've been down here, and I fished for bass and used to go out with my father-in-law buddy, and we would fish for, for big mouth bass, and we'd have big hooks. My dad was a cane pole fisherman. We fished for brim and crappie and white perch, and we'd have a little bit bigger hook for them, the brim, a little small hook. But a hook, you know, has a barb on it, right? So it's curved, and then it has a barb. So when it gets in, it's, it's in. It's not going anywhere. And so that fish gets on that hook. Today I'm the fish, Milton's the fisherman. And he bites that, right? And that hook gets stuck in his mouth. I'm not going to put this in my mouth, y'all. Don't worry. So, <laughs> it gets in there. And that fish, he, he, he starts trying to get away. But no matter how he tries, he can't get away. You know why? He's got a hook in his jaw. And so he's trying to get away, but he can't. And, and, and who's in control here? The fisherman is, right? Milton's in control. 
And so, so he tries to get away, and he runs, and he, he tries, man, he's pulling, oh, he's pulling. But then the fisherman pull that thing. He, pull, he pulls him back. And you, you try to get away. So, okay, I'm, I've got it. I'm going this way now. But he just can't seem to get away because it's stuck in his mouth. The hook has him. Thank you so much. The hook has him. Give him a hand. Can you do it? He is a professional fisherman, y'all. He really is. So the hook gets in the fish, and the fisherman is controlling the fish. The fish may think he's getting free, but he's got a hook in his jaw, and he can't get away. He goes wherever the fisherman lets him go. The words of Job's friends were like hooks with barbs. They went below the surface. They went beyond just his eardrums. They got into his soul, and Job could not get those words out of his soul. Listen, uh, there are some things that they said to him that were absolutely appalling considering where he was. Within days of him losing everything, his ten babies, and all of his stuff, listen to what they said. In 4.8, Eliphaz said, I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble. They reap the same. I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble. They reap the same. In 5.4, Eliphaz said, The one who sins suffers. Listen to this. As do his children. Your children are far from safety, Job. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. Now, that sometimes is lost on us by the ancient language, but listen, what they're saying is, you failed, Job. This is all your fault, Job. You failed your children, Job. None of this would have happened if it wasn't for you. You're to blame. Think of the insensitivity. Think of the timing. Not to mention, they were wrong about all of this. In 8.4, Bildad said, Since your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. In other words, Job, this is your baby's fault. They sinned, and they got what was coming to them. Are you kidding me? And you call yourself my friends? This had to make Job's blood boil. In 11.14, Zophar said, Iniquity, Job, is in your tents. In 20.10, he said, The wicked don't live long. They lose everything, and their children don't have an inheritance. Are you kidding me? These are brutal words, and they didn't apply to Job. They went on to say, this is good, Job, compared to what you really deserve. Can you imagine the outrage? No wonder Job said in 19.2, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These words were breaking him down. That old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a myth. That is a fairy tale. That is a lie. The power of life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. But the wrong word said at the wrong time in the wrong way can break you down and can wound you, and can get into your spirit. And like a hook, 
It can control you. With every word of criticism they said to Job, a hook was being set in his soul. It's your fault, Job. A hook was set. You're getting what you deserve, Job. A hook was set. It's your children's fault, Job. A hook was set. How could he ever forget? How could he ever forgive? How could he ever escape the brutality of the words of his friends? Job was being held captive by their words. Are you with me? Finally, in Job 42, listen to what the Lord says to these friends of Job. We read it at the beginning, starting with the last part of uh, uh, of verse 7 in chapter 42. And, and, And the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, listen to this. This is what the Lord said to his friends. My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, and Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite, went and did as the Lord commanded, for the Lord had accepted Job. Now, if you've ever wondered if the Lord, what the Lord thought about Job's friends, did they say the right things or not? Now you know. God said, my wrath is aroused against you. Notice, Job was not responsible for his friends offering sacrifices unto God and doing their part. But Job was responsible to pray for his friends. His friends obeyed what the Lord told them to do, albeit it was at the threat of the wrath of God coming upon them. But they did obey. And then in verse 10, this is what we read to begin with. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. What was his captivity? What had him in bondage? Those words, the behavior of his friends toward him, they had hooked into him and bound him up with no escape. He couldn't think his way to freedom. He couldn't therapy his way to freedom. He couldn't wish his way to freedom. But when he prayed for his friends, he found his freedom. He was released when he released his friends from the hurt that they had caused him. Releasing them is what brought about his own freedom and release. Now can I preach to you for a few minutes? I told you it's going to get a little heavy in here. Some of you, you've been done wrong. You've been hurt. Things were said to you. People misunderstood you. People underestimated you. They were insensitive to you. They kicked you when you were down, and they treated you like dirt. And all of that was seared into your consciousness and hooked into your soul. Maybe it was years ago when you were a child, when you were just a little bitty thing, and maybe a parent or a relative or somebody said something to you or affected you in some way that put a hook in your spirit. Maybe in your adolescence, a peer or a boyfriend or girlfriend, somebody did you wrong, said something to you, put a judgment over you. 
Maybe it was when you were a young adult and something stupid happened in your life, but it got on the inside of you. Maybe it was a preacher. Maybe it was at another church, a situation that took place that just got a hold of you. Somebody wrote you off, walked away as if nothing had ever happened, and you've been walking around with these hooks in your soul ever since, and you can't seem to get away from them. You're led by them. Just when you think you're breaking free, Somebody pulls that hook and you're going going in another direction that you don't want to go. You can't seem to get to your destiny and fulfill the call that God has on your life because you're pulled by an influence that you haven't seen in years. I'm telling you, there are people who influence this church, even our services, who are not even in the room. And we are not responsible for what they do. But we are responsible for what we can do. I talked to a pastor this week who pastors a sizable church. A very, if you looked at it, you would say, wow, that church has it going on. Very sizable, just a a powerful, growing church. But the backstory is this. There was a pastor that preceded the guy that's there now. And when I tell you there were problems, there were problems that are as bad as you can even imagine in a church with a preacher, with minors, a thousand-member church, and, and the law gets involved, and the church was reduced to practically nothing They had just built a massive multi-million dollar, 140,000 square foot facility and they were having to pay for it and there was hardly anybody there. And this guy took the church and they struggled, man. They struggled. Now you wouldn't know it today, but they struggled. And somewhere in their journey, this pastor got a flash of insight and he got his elders together and he said, guys, we've got to get past the elephant in the room we got to move on to greener pastures and we got to get away from the hurt and the anguish that this church experienced and the blemish this church has on it in the community. And so what they did as a group of elders is they said, we're going to, we're going to choose. Now everything had been dealt with. Everything had been resolved as far as the law goes. There, there was a lot of stuff that took place. But they said, for our own sanity and for the future of our church, we got to move on. And so the group of elders got together, and they said, we're going to forgive the man. We're going to release him. He doesn't owe us anything. We're not suing him. We're not pursuing him anymore. We're done. We're washing our hands of this matter. We're putting him in the hands of a, a merciful God, and we're letting him go. And, and the pastor told me, he said, Donovan, it was one of the most powerful things that we have ever done that little meeting we had, we wept and cried and we released that man into the hands of God. And then we brought it to our church as a whole. We said, we want to tell you what we've done. We all know what happened, but in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, we are releasing this man. We are letting this situation go because God has a future for us. 
And he said it was amazing what happened. Chains began to break. You know what was happening? Hooks that are, have barbs on them that you can't get out of your soul. The Holy Spirit began to work his, his sweet anointing. And he began to just thread those things out and release those people from that past. I want to tell you, there's people in the room today. God wants to release you from some hooks that the devil has put in you and kept you from fulfilling your destiny. He wants to release you. He wants to get those hooks out of you today. Here's what I want us to do right now. I want our ushers to take those cards, if you could do that very quickly. And we're going to pass those out right now. God's going to set people free today. Your captivity is going to be turned today. I believe it. When you pray for those who have mistreated you and you release them, God's going to release you. Where you've been controlled and you've been seemingly held in place, I can't get away. God's going to release you. The anointing is here to set at liberty them that are bruised. And we're going to get that flowing by starting out praying for others. Can you stand with me right now? There are people in the house right now who are struggling. They're struggling. And God is wanting to turn your captivity. When it was all said and done, Job was twice as blessed. He still had his marriage and, check this out, he still had his friends. As bad as they were to him, he still had his friends. He released. They buried the hatchet. He forgave. He was forgiven. He moved on. He was free. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9, the wise man said this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You've got somebody's card in your hand. Somebody in this room, if they were honest in that card, they're struggling with one of those things. We're going to get the flow started by praying for somebody who is struggling. The way I want us to do this is I want you to come to the front, just all the way up to the front. I believe there are miracles that are going to be released at Life Point as we learn to get these hooks out of our spirit and we release people. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a boss that did you wrong. And God is wanting to release you. He's wanting to release you, but you've got to release first. So to get the flow started, I want you to begin to pray for the person who you have their card. I want you to pray for them right now. I want you to lift them up. I mean, sincerely. Come on, y'all. Let's break some change today. Father, in the name of Jesus, you see the struggle. You see the discouragement. I see the hurt. I pray for them. I lift them up. They 
need me to pray for them. I need somebody to pray for me in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.